Is your money raised selling cookies? Yes. Do you know General Mortars? Well, I drive a Buick. No, no, that's General Mortars. General Mortars. No. And that's one down, nine to go. Hi, how you doing? Don't mind me. Just keep doing what you're doing. We're a team. We work together. Hey, honey, nice outfit. Points out all the tourist attraction. Didn't you die? I thought this was a sequel. Misdemeanor, this would not be a good time to lie. Now's not a good time. When is? I don't know the meaning of the word lie. Who was the last man to bat over 400? Ted Williams. What did Cher see in Sonny? Did Oswald act alone? You need help shaving your legs? Show a little respect. So, how many men have you slept with? Five. Maybe six. Not a lot for this day and age. It's been a slow week. Folks, and welcome to episode number 89 of the Sin of Beef podcast. I sound so excited, don't I? I, I am, though. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I am here with uh, none of my regular co-hosts, but a, a guy who, who works with my co-hosts and has a, a brand new podcast that I'm sure I'll tell you all about, and he has current podcasts and include evil episodes, and the Theme Warriors podcast, Mr. Mike Merriman. How you doing, sir? I am doing good. Try not to melt. I have the garage door open, which is giving me a bit of a breeze. Nothing too noticeable, but it is definitely better than being shut in. So uh, I, I think uh, we'll have a swell time, not to mention a sweltering time. Oh, definitely. It's, it's always hot in my house, man, you know. <laughs> but, but for different reasons, of course. Because <laughs> I'm so fucking active in that way. But, you know. <laughs> Pacing back and forth when you record. Oh, definitely, you know. Get some cornstarch for those huevos, man. They, they, they get very sticky down there, you know. <laughs> oh, man. But, yeah, like I mentioned, you got a brand new podcast that's about, I think, four or five episodes in that I never really asked you about. So why don't you tell the folks all about Rad Radio, man. So that'd be Rad Radio. Uh, it's kind of the brainchild of Mark Nato of the horror cast, if anyone's familiar with that. If you're not, check it out at the HorrorCast. Uh, so I started kind of doing... So the, the HorrorCast is obviously a horror podcast, but they do little offshoots called Guttural Reactions where uh, it's it covers movies that have basically just come out in the theater and he, he'll do like a spoiler-free kind of rapid reaction. And I started um, hopping on some of those for the movies I do see in the theater. Um I, I tend to be sporadic sometimes, like depending on what the movies, I'm not one of those people that just because I'm a horror fan, I'll go see anything anymore that, you know, those days are long gone. But as it is, as it is, sometimes there just happens to be like two or three weeks in a row where there is something I'm interested in. So I'll see it and then he'll hit me up. So, um, I was showing up on those and then, uh, he, 
brought me and a couple other people into like a group chat and um at first i thought he just wanted me to be a guest on it and i was like oh i'm I'm down to do that and he's like actually if you, if you have the time and are interested you can just actually be a co-host i was like okay cool and i'm i'm a little bit younger than uh my other co-host on there so i'm kind of like the guy who a saw a lot of sequels before the original and uh i kind of give that like half 80s half 90s perspective only because they they were all like teenagers when i was probably like you know anywhere from seven to 11 years old so um it's been fun so far yeah we're uh four episodes in i believe we just recorded the fifth because i think escape from new york was the fourth episode and then we just did um fast times at ridgemont high and night of the comet we just recorded that last night, and then the next show is going to be my pick, and I'm doing our first versus episode, which I picked uh, Evil Dead One versus Evil Dead Two, um, to see like which one reigns supreme on our podcast. So, lots of exciting stuff coming on. Um, so, if you're into that kind of stuff, check it out. Just uh, look up Rad Radio's '80s podcast on Facebook. Cool, man. I've always wanted to do that with the, with directors, like people who. Adore Quentin Tarantino, and I, I, I enjoy me a good taste of QT as well. It's just, I, I think it kind of fell off myself after after Jackie Brown. But that's that's one man's opinion, you know. Mm-hmm. But but I, I'd like to, t- like, take a director's work and, like, pit it against another director's work. Like, pick your best QT, and I'll pick my best Wes Anderson, and we'll see who's good, who who made the better film. And, you know, we'll, we'll do that one time or another on the show. I, I'm, I'm just waiting for the opportunity for somebody to say, hey, let's do that. And, yeah. You know, somebody who truly loves them some QT. <laughs> that, that bastard video clerk plagiarist. I, I love him. I love him, but he, he, he uh, he's a guy who loves film. Okay? Yeah. I'm not going to gonna compare him as a hack like like Rob Zombie, but he's a guy who, who loves homages. Okay? Oh, yeah. He definitely wears his influences on his sleeve. It's just a matter of whether your general average film goer is going to watch his movie and then go seek out. Cause I, I don't even think, I don't think he expects the audience to have seen most of the movies, which may be partly be why he's borrowing like the quote unquote cool elements from them. Me, when I would see a Tarantino film when I was younger, I would want to go kind of, first I'd track down the soundtrack and then you'd find out like half this, half the pieces of music were from other movies. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what led me to seeking stuff out of, of, of our, as far as movies that influenced him. I remember I saw Reservoir Dogs, and then a few years later I heard about City on Fire, so I found that online and bought it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's the same thing with Martin Scorsese in The Departed. I heard that it, it was based off a Japanese film series called Internal Affairs. Yeah, I think it's and, like Infernal Affair. Yeah, there, and there's actually three of those. And I, I seek those out right away because I fucking love The Departed. It's like one of one of my go-to movies that I can just churn on, you know. And yeah, I, I seek those out right away. You know, and so in a way, I, I love when, when when directors do that, and you can like you encourage the person to go seek out other things, mm-hmm. and then and then they might watch other things that are related to those things, and then more and more things like that, and. They become more well-rounded as a film watcher, in a way. Exactly. That's at least that's the hope, you know, for sure. So thanks, QT. You're 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 an amazing fellow for that. I, I love I love it for that, man. Not like you're <laughs> listening. Not like you're listening or anything. Hey, you know, Lee Russell, who's a, a constant supporter of the show, uh, they just did on his show. They must be destroyed on sight. 
uh, Jackie Brown on their show and covered it pretty well because they know about the back backgrounds and they read the books and I, I'm not a big reader but I'm sure Elmore Elmore Leonard novels are, are pretty good to read if I wanted to d- divulge into those. I love Jackie Brown. I think it's like un- maybe the most underrated in all all Tarantino's movies. I think it's his best movie myself, but that, that's that might be an un- unpopular opinion. But you know, whatever it is. One second. Yeah, I'm back now. Yeah, those guys are some great guys. His uh, his his co-host, who's Dan Daniel. I forget his his last name, but he uh, he made some picks for his favorite Tarantino films and. I'm not, I never tell anybody they're wrong. I just disagree what his favorite ones were. And, and Django was on that list in his top three, and I just, uh, I just disagree because I, I got, I got too much love for for Jackie Brown, and um, Pulp Fiction still holds true whenever it comes on TV. I, I, I own it on Blu-ray and on digital, and whenever it comes on TV, I just let it play because except if it's on like a thing where they edit it for TV, then it's not so good. But um. Yeah, Django, not so good to me. Much like, uh, much like the Hateful Eight, which is too, uh, too much going on. I, I, I can't, I can't deal. But uh. yeah, I mean, I didn't think Django was bad or anything. It's just, it, I don't know. It, it just seemed to be missing some of the turns. Like, uh, what's it? And Christopher Waltz was really good in it, which would be expected. Didn't he say he wanted? Originally, he wanted Will Smith, but Will Smith didn't want to do it because he felt like. Christopher Waltz's character was like too prominent and not Django or something like that. Uh, that's what I think. I thought I remember reading that. Um, but I don't know. It it just seemed like it was missing some Tarantino flair, other than like the over the top dialogue and then of course Samuel Jackson's character in it. Oh yeah, it was yeah. ridiculous. It is ridiculous. He's the the classic. Uh... House N word. If, if I'm not going to say the word, but that's that's what they called his his type of people in that, that era, you know. <laughs> but um, oh my God, one of the coolest Tarantino stories that I read this week is that my my man, I, who I consider a friend now because I've met him like at least eight or nine times, that that Sid Haig turned down the role of Marcellus Wallace in Pulp Fiction. I don't know what that'd have been like, but I would I would love I would love to see that, you know, oh, for some reason. <laughs> Sid Haig's a cool dude. Yeah, he is like the coolest. I, I mentioned him on this podcast many, many times about how he's like the the coolest guy you'd ever want to be at a convention, and that that's not really an understatement because he's been around the block. He's been acting in films for fifty plus years, and he just he just doesn't deal with shit very well, and he just likes that likes to be around the fans and not charge them a lot of money and take pictures for free, and you know just just a, just yeah. a nice real guy. I don't know if I told the story. Well, I, I know I told it elsewhere. I don't think I told it on here before. Uh, a few years back, well, almost throughout my late teens and all my 20s, we used to have a local film festival called Trash Film Orgy. And one week they were, uh, it, it's a six week thing during the summer. And I'd say about my mid upper 20s, he uh, they were screening Galaxy of Terror one week and they actually were able to schedule him to come out. So. Nice. He comes out, and like maybe an hour before the show, some idiot pulled a fire alarm in the bathroom, so they had to evacuate the place, and they weren't able to show the movie. He set up his booth outside the theater, so like for any people that were just showing up to like buy tickets for the movie, he would mm-hmm. he sat there and met with them anyway and chatted. And I mean, that's just awesome. Like he didn't have to do that. 
he would have been justified being mad and just leaving, but he, he stayed just to hang out. That's nice, yeah. That's yeah. real nice. But um, I'm going to ask you now, uh, have you watched anything interesting lately? Oh, let's see. I watched a dark song. Have you seen that? No, I haven't seen it. What is that? So basically, uh, this girl or this lady, she, I guess her child had died. So she contacts this guy, I guess, who knows how to like do like some, some type of witchcraft to allow her to see her son again and kind of talk to him and get closure. And, uh, so they go out to like some remote house and the the movie is pretty much like him going through the rituals because it's like a long process and you find out like her motives aren't quite what what they uh, were at the beginning of the movie. It's pretty good. Uh, I, I believe it came out last year, but it's starting to make the rounds over here in America now, uh, like on streaming services. Uh, the ending... Is a little. I mean, the the biggest criticism from me and most people is just the ending's a little cheesy. But otherwise, that's that's really good. Um, what the hell did I see? Uh, what is it? Lake something? Not Lake Mungo. That's a while ago that I saw that. Uh, damn it! There's some. There's there's a movie with a lake in it where these high school folks go out there and then murders start happening and there's a couple double twists and it was really good. I'm sure everyone listening now knows what it is and thinks I'm an idiot because I can't remember the name. <laughs> um, what else did I watch? I've been watching the Miss TV show. It's three episodes in now. <sighs> okay. I, I got to say, right now the problem with it is I feel like they're playing fast and loose whether there's actually monsters in the mist or if it's just like a mist that's making everyone go crazy. And I'm like, on a show like this, what's the number one way to save money in your show's budget? Not actually have monsters. So I can't say either way whether there aren't going to be monsters or there are, but they definitely are like towing that line to where it could go either way at this point. There could just be no monsters and it's just the mist makes people delusional and paranoid and they start murdering each other or there could be. I I would say it's not definitive yet. Have you seen the show at all? I haven't watched the show, but I've seen the movie and the movie, you gotta wait like like a half an hour and this is no sight on the mist. It's it's great. It's great, great movie all around. Well, I've never watched it in black and white like everybody tells me to watch it in black and white. I don't know. I don't know the Blu-ray. Oh, it's great, black and white. Mm-hmm. But it took like a half an hour for you to f- see like the first monster, which is like that that badass tentacle, mm-hmm. and you know that 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 was there was build up for that, and maybe that's what they're doing with this episodic TV thing that they're they're gonna wait make you wait four or five episodes till the reveal. That there are actually things inside the mist. In- it could be. It could be, and I'd be fine. With that, my biggest fear is that they're going to do this show due to this show, kind of what they did with Under the Dome. Because I thought the first season of Under the Dome was fine, but what they ended up doing is they they stretched that story out way too, way too long. It it became about too much like uh, drama and relationships with the people, which of course is going to be that in a Stephen King property anyway. Well, Under the Dome should have been like two seasons at the most. The Mist, I don't know what the plan is at this point. Um, but they definitely, I, I don't like when they like overextend 
stories and it's like obvious and because there's already like a lot of a lot of drama and it's not it, the drama in the Miss TV show it's not stuff that was created because everyone's in a tight space it's like they they spent a lot of the first episode setting up different events around town that happened so when you obviously know they're all going to end up in the same place those pre-existing uh, problems of course blow up and I thought the movie did it well because you saw like tension there but it wasn't like over the top it's just like the, the, the miss situation uh, amplified everything mm-hmm. but everyone still seemed like semi-normal and like they weren't going out of the way to make things ridiculous between everyone at the beginning it was more like a slow build um, but we'll see like I said I, three episodes in I'm on board I, I, I don't want to make it seem like I don't like it I I do like it. I'm just curious to see where it goes and what they decide to do with it, short term or long term. Yeah, I may I may check that out in the morning if I if I can get my uh, my browser to work at my job if I could uh, check that out. And uh, another show you should really check out is Blood Drive on Sci-Fi. I've, if I've heard should. about that. Yes. What is that exactly about? It's it's insane. So it's kind of like a post-apocalyptic movie. Mm-hmm. Not not quite like Mad Max. Is it level. Like, like Death Race kind of thing? Death Race? Yeah, kind of like Death that. Race 2000, you know. Do they kill yeah. folks for points and stuff? Or? Uh, well, this one, yeah. They're trying, to, they're trying to get across country to save. I forgot who exactly they're saving, but the car, it runs on human blood. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that was kind of like the basic premise in the setup. But I think it's about four or five episodes in now. And it's just every episode's insane. Um, it, it, things just get crazier and it's one of those shows that's like, it has no shame and just being batshit crazy. And I love it. He has, to, he has to kill the people for like, get for like the, get the, the, the blood that fuels his ride. Is that what goes on in that show? Yeah, oh, exactly. <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah. And then you have like the insane, crazy guy that's in charge or like the head of all of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's it's just pretty good. Like it's it's actually going places I didn't expect. So, um, yeah, definitely check that one out. It, it seems like it has like a drive angry type feel to it in a way, like that kind yeah. of. Which is a film I love that I I couldn't wait to cover on a show is, is Drive Angry. You know, what, what other film do you have where it starts where Nicolas Cage drives a muscle car out of hell, <laughs> it, and that's your plot? You know, and he escapes from hell. And it, it's it's kind of like. Like a high octane Hellraiser in a way, because uh, if you think about it, you got um, w- w- William F- Fickner. I, I always forget to pronounce that guy's name. F- Fickner. You've seen the guy's face in like a hundred things. Yeah. But he's got like that that god gun, and he's kind of like the pinhead of the thing because he has to retrieve him, and you know he's constantly on his tail, and it's it's fun. It's kind of like if you've ever seen it before, it's like it's like Hellraiser meets Vanishing Point. And from what you're telling me about this show, that it, it seems like it's Death Race meets Vanishing Point. You know, <laughs> if you've seen Vanishing Point, I, I I hope you have, or you'll seek it out. Like it's 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 a pretty decent movie. Oh yeah, Vanishing Point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my god. Anything oh. else of interest, man? Uh, I'm trying to think. I know there's been tons of stuff that's been on, but um, what else? Fear the Walking Dead's been actually pretty good. Season three. But, I mean, three seasons into it, you're probably either watching it now or you're not. Mm-hmm. I'm much convincing either way on that one. Um, 
what the hell else did I watch? I watched the movies for the other cinema beef we'll be recording. That's nice, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> Eventually. Next um, week sometime, I think. X will be available. And nice. And hopefully, hopefully Jamie as well. Cool, cool. Um, oh, you know, I just watched this movie called... It's on Netflix. I think it's called Here Alone, which it's... Uh, it's definitely... I would, I would put it in, like, the new school variety of zombie films where it, it, it kind of takes place like so the zombie apocalypse or whatever it is it has happened and you're kind of following like a lone survivor kind of out in the middle of nowhere surviving and they do like the whole flashback to kind of see how she got there mm-hmm. and of course she encounters people and then they have like their harmonious time and then things don't go as planned and then you get like your conclusion. That's that's kind of been like the new school. And I don't want to say the battery was the first one because I'm sure it isn't. But I remember like in the past, like maybe what three to five years, there's been like a lot of uh, zombie movies kind of taking that angle. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes a great template like that. The battery does. Yes, yes, it does. It's it's uh, it's definitely like a new take. Um, I, I would say the only problem and not. It, not this movie specifically because I did enjoy this is you're just starting to see like a repeat like uh, kind of like any subgenre though really is like after a while it starts to get saturated we're like okay we, we get like your scenes of like oh what are they going to do for food oh what are they going to do for this and it's like you've kind of like seen some of the tropes before just like you would anytime you know it's over they it, it get saturated like that but I still think this one does it really well when the zombie action you do gets pretty good uh the story and the characters are interesting enough to where you kind of want to see how it all wraps up at the end um and then there's enough actual zombie action in that final act to where it doesn't feel like overkill like they just like it doesn't totally change the movie mm-hmm. it's like just enough to make it realistic like oh even though they're out there relatively safe that something like this could still happen um especially with the character dynamics of the of the people that are around at that time so i believe it's called here alone and it is streaming on u.s netflix so anyone who has netflix can watch it anytime nice yeah, there's lots of I've been meeting to get to, but I, I haven't really got to, you know, <laughs> including, yeah. you know, Glow on Netflix, and today they dropped Castlevania on Netflix, which I hear nothing but awesome things about already. Oh, that was today? Yeah, bo- both of those things I hear awesome things about, Glow and um, Castlevania, it's an animated <laughs> series, if you guys like that kind of thing. Yep. But, um, on the 4th, I got to hang out with the NFW guys, we did Jaws, and um, before that... I decided to watch the Jaws sequels in reverse because I do that sometimes, you know, to like uh, come out on top or something, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first time I ever saw Jaws three, and let me tell you, it just it just uh, it wasn't as good as the other ones. And Jaws in the water park. Jaws in the water park was kind of kind of lame, and uh, and that's with Lou Gossett Jr. in tow, and that's uh, that's rough for an early that's- '80s Lou, Lou Gossett Jr. You know. Dennis Quaid as well, right? Dennis Quaid as well, yes. <laughs> I just didn't like it. I, I, I could tell, you know, much like, well, well it's a lot worse in, um, in, in this movie than Friday 3. 
because if you watch it in HD now, you can just see where they outline the stuff for 3D, and it's just really bad looking, and it distracts me from the movie. It could be some Oscar caliber performances, and that motherfucker I would not notice, because they have all these 3D uh, effects outlined for you to say, hey, this is this was in 3D, and this was in 3D. It's like, yeah, but I'm watching it on a regular 4K TV, and it looks like shit. <laughs> let's, let's move on, 1980s, you know? <laughs> Oh, <laughs> and uh, they, I don't think Jaws 3 even got a cool disco theme like Friday the 13th 3. Oh, 3D. it did not get a good dis- disco theme. No, it did not. You know, <laughs> there's very many th- hard things to, hard to top in that disco theme. Oh, I watched uh, with X when I was uh, by his house. This was a highlight because he's a big fan of these filmmakers. I, I forget the, the names of them, and I apologize ahead of time, but they made... Um, the Lost Skeleton of Cadavra, which was a very entertaining B-movie with, with some comedy in there. And The Tale of the Screaming Forehead. And that, that's a crazy movie, too. But this is called, uh... Was it One Dark and Stormy Night or One Dark Stormy Night? It's like a... Like a kind of think about, um... If you like the movie Clue, you'll, mm-hmm. be, a big, you'll be a big fan of this movie because it's almost the same exact thing except with, like, wacky 1950s-style monsters in there doing stuff. Somebody gets an inheritance, and of course, people start de- being, being bumped off one by one. And you know, Jim Beaver, who we uh, know as Bobby Singer from Supernatural and other things, he's in there doing stuff. James Karen's in there hamming it up. They always manage to get like these stars that you know and like put them in like their B movie, like in The Tale of the Screaming Forehead, which is like a, like a body snatch strip off. They got Kevin McCarthy to be in their, in their movie. You know, from the original Body Snatchers, and that was pretty dope to me. Yeah. But these guys, they, they make silly movies that you could enjoy, I think, so... <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, what else? It's, there's been stuff. I watched this stuff for the show, of course. And, uh, of course, because, you know, why, why would you be ill prepared for your own show, right? I've done <laughs> that. I've done that before. Hello, The Swarm. Speaking of Michael Caine. Uh, <laughs> oh, but, but yeah, I don't. I didn't watch a ton though that I can remember. I, I watched Wonder Woman again because that's that's delightful. And uh, if you haven't seen that movie yet, it's pretty excellent. I hear this is the the year to be in the superhero films because that was excellent. And everybody's telling me Spider Man Homecoming was excellent. I haven't seen that yet either. So behind people. <laughs> and people say that that Baby Driver is terrible, which makes me sad as an Edgar Wright fan. And I. I still kind of want to see it, though, for, for myself. But um, I'm going to move on from this segment, and I'm going to move on to the next segment, which is formerly the Beef of the Week, but now it's a segment known as Beef Bitches and Mashed Potatoes. Okay, who gets the burly uh, beef? I ordered barbecue beef. I think that's mine, but I didn't who order gets fries. Who the barbecue beef? Mine's the Jeep Deluxe. Okay, who gets the burly beef? Mike, what is your uh, your grievance, my friend, this week? I have a beef, a bitch, about some mashed carrots because <laughs> before we were recording, I was cooking up some carrots. I do this, like, honey orange glaze with nice. carrots, and uh, I was not paying attention, and then I come into the kitchen, I'm like, hmm, they don't usually smell like that, and I took the top off the pan, oh, because they're black and gooey. So, I had to get rid of those, and then right before we recorded, I cut some more up, and I was like, all right, I'm not doing the glaze. 
just doing these with like butter, garlic, salt, and pepper, and my wife can take over when I come out to record. So I wasn't too happy with myself for that. Um, luckily, I was able to rectify the situation with more carrots. <laughs> um, I mean, this is kind of a reoccurring theme with me. Anytime I record during the summer, the heat out here is ridiculous. I think it was like 102 today. Um, I was looking at the hour by hour. It, by 9 p.m. tonight, it says it's still supposed to be 94 degrees. Uh, thank God we have a pretty good working air conditioning, although it won't be fun to see the bill come in like a week or two. Yes. <laughs> uh, what else? Um, that's pretty much it. Just busy with work, family, and watching movies. Uh, I... I don't like it. Man, I, I have no time for video games. I'm, like, so behind, and a lot of good ones. Have, the last video game I really sat down and, like, played all the way through, I think, is Until Dawn, and that was, it's been a while. Uh, I haven't got the Friday the 13th game yet just because uh, it's like I have no time. Uh, I never got the, the, what was it, Resident Evil 7, I believe. I, I never bought that. See, I used to have the bad habit of, not having time, but I would still buy games, mm-hmm. and they would just like stack up. That, that was that was me and comic books every Wednesday. We 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 a ritual. We would yeah. go get comic books every Wednesday, and after a while, you know, work gets in the way. This that the other gets in the way. And they were just stacking up, so I stopped buying them. Oh yeah, exactly. Because now with like two kids, it's like even even my quote unquote free time. I it usually involves my kids somehow. Like yes. even. Even if we're not out doing something, if I'm just, like, relaxing on the couch watching the A's game or whatever, it's like they're going to be there. And it's already tough enough just trying to watch shows and movies with them. But if I actually try to play a video game, it's just not going to happen. It'd be, like, pointless. So I've graduated from buying games and not playing them to realizing why am I even buying them if I can't play them. So exactly. Yeah. But eventually I'll get around. Like, I mean, I guess the good byproduct of that is by the time I actually go out and buy the games, they'll probably be like half the price they are. Yeah, um, definitely. So that, that is a bonus mm-hmm. to, to that. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I mean, pretty much everything is, is going good. Um, did, I can't remember cause we record, I recorded with you not too long ago and I think I brought up the whole, uh, what was it, Universal, like, trying to do, like, a Marvel Universe for monsters. Yeah, I think we talked about that before. Yeah, we talked about that last time, so I'll not get into that again. That's yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I guess I don't like the fact that when I pour a cold beer, it's not cold for more than 10 minutes, so I kind of have to chug them. Yeah. Which is, it's not a bad thing, but sometimes you want to go <laughs> let your beer last more than a minute but uh yeah that's about it for me oh yeah my, my beef is and I, somebody i talk about often oh my beef is is sadness really because my, my co-host can't be on the show and that that makes me sad but you know that that's uh it's more of a sadness than a beef so i mean i miss you jamie and actually you guys are lovely people but uh my, my beef is uh oh, well she she did it again one of, one of my, my favorite uh Actresses who 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 settled and uh, peaked at, at, at teenagehood, so she chose to show her titties to everybody. Miss Linda Blair was uh, <laughs> in in Indianapolis uh, this past weekend <laughs> at Days of the Dead, Indianapolis, which is a show you can either love or hate. I, I I hear I hear a lot of people you know say they 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 love it, and I think the Chicago show is very very cramped, and I hear I heard 
even people like uh, some of the some of the their 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 stars, some of their attractions were complaining because they were just so cramped and people couldn't get around. I mean, they had Tony Todd in a corner in between Kane Hodder and Steve Dash at a Chicago show. That that's no bueno. But anyway, that's this this is about this is about them people. This is about Linda Blair. She, she showed up to a show where her and um, Eileen Dietz, who we've had on this show before, we, we, we did an interview with her for our Exorcist Travaganza quite a while ago. If you don't know who she is, she is the white face, you know, when it goes dark in the room in the Exorcist, and she, she is the face of Pazuzu mm. that, you, that you see flashing in the light. And she's only in the film for not a long time, but she is in the film. But in case you didn't know this beef, that Linda... Uh, feels that Eileen wasn't even in the movie. So she, anytime they do a show together or a show in close proximity with each other, with each other if you get something signed by Eileen first, Linda will not touch it because she's that much of a bitter bitch. Wow. And this happened again at this show. And I, I was tr- I tried to warn my friend, my friend's a dealer there, and I was like, I was like, tell people when, when, you, when you sell them exorcist stuff, that Linda will not sign it if Eileen signs it first, because I've heard this from my, yeah, Eileen herself, that this is a thing. And you, you don't want to believe these things till it happens, but apparently it happened a lot. And uh, your, your friend, my friend, uh, Grandpa John Dugan from Texas Chainsaw Massacre, was blasted on Facebook. I was like, you, you go, John, because I, 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 know, I know what she's like, man. And uh, it's like, yeah, I, I guess it happened again, because <laughs> she doesn't soften, or she just won't sign shit if the, that person signed it. Because she's just that much of a bitter hag who... It's really hard. It's really hard. And people going to say, Oh, Gary hates Linda Blair. That, that's why he's talking to you. No, she's just... Ask her about her pit bulls. It'll be okay. But besides that, she's just a real bitter person who wants your money. So if you're Linda, if you're a Linda Blair fan, you know, I respect you for going to go meet her, you know, and all that good stuff. But you'll learn real fast to stay away from her. Because she's not a pleasant person. You'll say, "Oh, I met Linda Blair, and that was a thing, and that—that's it. <laughs> no, 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 no positive, you know, could come of that. Besides the fact you can say, hey, I met Linda Blair once, and that was the thing. I've I met Linda Blair twice because once was for a friend, and I, I felt bad for the second time. I was like, yeah, this is for a friend, but you know, here you go. Here's my thirty dollars, you fucking hag. I'm gonna move on now, okay? <laughs> I yeah, I hate when uh, people like that are just." totally unpleasant which is terrible and really really terrible and um this is gonna sound really bad but a story came out this week if you watch the tv show uh hawaii 5 which is it's a solid show i just never really delved that far into it the, the brand new hawaii 5 they're two uh asian actors uh daniel day kim who i know from angel and at that show and i forget the the asian actress's name left the show because they weren't getting paid the same amount as like Scott Kahn and the other guy, but it, they thought it was—I guess they thought it was a racial thing or something. I, I, I don't know for sure how CBS practices things, but just watching the show for like the first season, I can tell you that those two are not the face of the TV show. So why should they get paid equal money than the other people when the other ones see more screen time than than the other ones? And I, I don't know—is that a racist thing to me? I've always thought the same thing about you know. Certain actresses in Hollywood who think they deserve certain accolades and, and bigger paychecks when they they really don't. Don't get me wrong. There's actresses out there that that deserve uh, equal pay to to their male counterparts, but mm-hmm. it's usually the ones that are bitching that are just not very good. 
at their jobs, you know. Well, that and like, I think like a a, a good example of like where she earned her money over the course of the show, and now she's getting paid equal, is uh Emmy Rossum. Um, is it Rossum? Rossum. I know the Rossum. actress. I just forget what she's on. She's on Shameless. Okay. Now the thing is, when Shameless first came out. No one really knew about the show, and it was really William H. Macy being in the show as Frank Gallagher that brought people to it. Definitely. So I would say, you know, maybe for the first two or three seasons, or maybe more, he was, like, far and away paid the most. But uh, Emmy's character, Fiona Gallagher, you know, as the show went on, she became a much more focal point. So eventually they renegotiated, and then she got equal pay, which I think that's, like, that approach kind of is like a good example of like okay now she should but there's a reason a clear reason in the beginning why he was making the most because one he was the most well-known actor and most people who had no idea what the show was or that it was even a remake of a british show they were watching it because he was attached to it so i mean i i think there could be situations where like people aren't getting paid as much or equal at the beginning of a show's run and then things can be renegotiated based on circumstances later. Mm-hmm. As far yeah, as far as like the Hawaii Five O thing, I know the original show somewhat. I've never seen a scene of that remake show, so mm-hmm. I have no idea how to judge that situation. I, I did see like the headline that they left the show over a pay dispute, but I wouldn't even be able to accurately even say what the hell was going on because I I've never seen it, so... It'd be like, you know, the, it, it, you gotta be excited about this being on a, a horror podcast, a horror TV podcast. Kevin Bacon coming back to the Tremors, the Tremors world, doing a, yeah. doing a TV show. Do you really expect the other actors to get paid more than Kevin Bacon? Kevin Bacon is the face of... Well, he's not the face of that franchise. Michael Gross is the face of the Tremors franchise, in my opinion. <laughs> but he would be the face of that television show to oh, say he, he was in the but, first movie, yeah. you know... And he's and bringing back this character. Far and away, the fact that Kevin Bacon's attached to it is what is going to make the masses go, okay, this is something worth at least checking out. Because if Kevin Bacon's going to be in it, they might have something here for, for sure. So, so if anybody has a dispute with that one, it should be Michael Gross because he's not he's not attached to it. And I know that was the thing where he, he, he said that um, he was wondering why he wasn't attached to it because he basically kept that franchise alive all this time so so why why wouldn't he be attached to it you know <laughs> it's it's all it's all kevin bacon money oh There's yeah no... <laughs> don't want don't want to outshine the bacon man or the the bacon boner as they say you know that friday the 13th boner man <laughs> <laughs> but uh t- tonight we we are here to to uh do that that world famous the last time I did this, it was with Bill Ransdell and Doug Tilly, so that that was a lot of fun. This is going to be no exception. Uh, so bad it's good show. Part two, if you will. Uh, a sequel of sorts. <laughs> Mike picked the gem, and I picked the gem. And we're going to talk about them. But I think we're going to go with Mike's choice first, because no, I don't think any of these films are worse than the other one. I, I think they're both equally as good, in my opinion, because they're, so, they're just so bonkers. But, um... For sure. Yes. But uh, I'm going to run trailers to this thing. I'm going I'm to have Mike explain what his pick is and, and why he, he, he chose it, man. Lay it on you, brother. All right. So I chose 
1981's Frankenstein Island. And I think literally the reason I chose this is because when you told me we were doing it so bad, it's good. I, I pulled up a list and I was going through a movie and a lot of them I've seen. A lot of them I were like, well, I think those are actually good. So let me try to look for stuff that I actually have never seen. So I'm going, going, going. And then I come across Frankenstein Island. Pull it up on IMDb. It's ranked at a 1.9. I'm like, wow, that's low even for even for like podcasts that do so bad they're good. I've even like I I see them covering a lot of times like something with at least three to four stars. Yep. A 1.9 is one of the lowest scores I've ever seen without like purposely trying to seek out low scores. So when I read the synopsis, which is when a hot air balloon crashes on a remote island, the crew discovers Dr. Frankenstein's ancestor carrying on the family work, along with a race of mutants and a population of Amazons. Now, let me stop you right there. When they say Amazons, it, it's basically girls in bikinis, because when I think of Amazons, like there has to be some characteristic about them that yes. makes them outside the normal, like I guess, what, average female because these girls, I mean, if that's an if those girls are Amazons, I have a new Amazon fetish because <laughs> <laughs> those are some amazing looking Amazons. They, they uh, should just call them abandoned girls in bikinis. That's what they should just call them because they're not really doing anything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, that synopsis kind of sets it up. Uh, so the guys are on the island. They run into these girls who are kind of friendly. Um, and we, we get back to the lair of, uh, a Frankenstein. I don't know how much of a descent. Like, is it great granddaughter, granddaughter Something like that? Great granddaughter, I think. Right. And isn't like her, her married name. Was it Van Helsing? Like she, <laughs> like she was a Frankenstein and a Van Helsing. Yeah. Somehow. Her husband who was, who's, is, who is, uh, bed bound and apparently in need of a lot of blood is, uh, Attached to multiple machines, where if, if you were at a sharp image, they probably like would go crazy because it said a lot of uh, flashing lights and stuff and on and spinning things and and uh, look like it looks like my bedroom in 1994. But, yes, um, <laughs> it sounds like they're every time they try to do sound effects, it sounds like early Pong video game yes. sound effects. <laughs> um, but he's basically got his deathbed, you know, this whole time until. They put some, yeah. they pump some animal blood in him, and all of a sudden he starts to wake up and come too. <laughs> I love the fact because like when um, Frankenstein, when she's like explaining to him, well, you were like you weren't brought here on accident, didn't you? Feel the wind pulling your balloons in this direction? It wasn't an accident. And she's like, you have been chosen to uh, impregnate the Amazons so that future generations can live on. Now, if I was one of those guys, this is where the movie ends, because I'm like, okay, like, <laughs> you got me, deal. Um, and that's a, pretty much a happy ending. But, uh, of course, the movie doesn't end like that, and uh, I think one of the guys gets brainwashed. And tell me, uh, Gary, did uh, <laughs> did the, I don't know if I would call him the main guy, because it's hard to pick, like, a main guy in this, but the dark-haired guy... With the, the long sleeve shirt and with the open button, reminded me of um, Moe's store for men from Goodfellas. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I kept thinking, like, anytime that his wig's gonna come off or uh, someone's gonna come take him out, uh, yeah, he totally looked like him. 
so I was just cracking up every time he was on on the screen. Uh, what we haven't mentioned yet is John Carradine is technically in this movie. Te- technically, he is a floating head in this movie. He is he is Doctor Frankenstein, and he is warding over this island. And when, when it's hilarious because all of a sudden his face just pops up in the sky, like like he's Skeletor yelling out to Eternia. Yeah, people of Eternia, bring me He Man. You know, I kept waiting for him to ask for He Man. You know, the whole time. You know. <laughs> yeah, um, this movie's kind of a riot. Yeah, for all the wrong reasons. Um, I think you could you can get some laughs out of it. I, I I expect this to show up sometime on fellow Legionnaires podcast, the Short Bus Cinema. Because <laughs> I, I would hope so. It's it's, it's pretty crazy. <laughs> Yeah, this is definitely a good candidate for them. Um, but the, the reason why John Carradine's, you know, being the floating head is because, of course, in true science fiction fashion, they're keeping his brain alive inside of a jar. Yes. <laughs> yes. Which is just what you want in a movie like this, you know. Because looking over their, like, their seventh grade, or, like, their junior high-level science equipment, I definitely believe they could keep a brain preserved. Like, no, it's not happening. That brain <laughs> died a long time ago. Yes. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Uh, yeah, sh- uh, so, the, yeah, the Frankenstein lady, Sheila Frankenstein von Helsing. Um, and then a bunch of the girls, they're just credited as Jungle Girl. Yes. But not even Jungle Girl, one, two, three, four, five, just Jungle Girl. Jungle girl. <laughs> Hell, the, the dog gets a bigger credit than the girls in this movie. <laughs> Which the dog? The dog is an amazing actor. I, I gotta say, I forget the dog's name in the movie, but he gets a He's the very. He's kind of almost almost like Boris Karloff because he gets the very last name credit in the credits. The dog. Oh yeah, another thing. Uh, the freaking the henchmen in this movie are dressed as actual stereotypical henchmen. They're dressed like like oh, and I, I noticed this right away. They're dressed like not Batman villains, but Batman villains henchmen. Yes. <laughs> Like the the, where like they're all dressed the same. They all kind of act in unison. Uh, the uh, yeah, what, like during their scenes, anytime they're fighting, the only thing missing from the screen is like the bam pow. Oh, yeah, I kept waiting for you know him to ask old chum. We got to go find the Riddler's hideout, and you know those guys in the long sleeve shirts and the skull caps are just waiting to come out and attack them. Yeah. Oh man, that that, that was great. But but the, these guys these. <laughs> I don't even know what the fuck this was. That's that's mostly a ploy to this whole film. They have a weapon that's basically a, a, a children's devil pitchfork for Halloween with, like, tape on it and shit that apparently could turn you into, like, some kind of wolf troll or some shit. Because all of a sudden, like, they, they put this thing on your head or close to your head. You, you like, grow, like, sharp teeth. Like, oh, what's going on here? And it's not always said, like, what they are. They could be vampires, they could be werewolves. I don't know. And I don't care, because it's just so crazy that they're using this children's uh, Halloween uh, uh, accessory to, to turn oh, into, like, werewolf teeth. people. Huh? The vampire teeth, yeah. The vampire teeth, yes. They looked exact. yeah, those plastic toy ones, which, yeah, that was hilarious, too. I, I really hope people can get laughs out of this movie, because if you, if you can't... You're gonna have a hell of a time trying to get through it. You're not trying if you really are not. If you you know, because plot wise, it's, it's crazy. I mean, there, there is a Frankenstein's monster in this film, and you don't get him, but for like five minutes towards the end, 
but at the same time, it's just kind of like a throw-in. It's like, oh, what, what, we, we had a monster, and he's just kind of hanging out in the grotto until we go wake him up again. Yeah, it's almost like they remembered that, oh, yeah, maybe we should get him in this movie because it's about to be over and he hasn't shown up yet. It's a series of stuff. And like, oh, here's here's foreshadowing to what might happen to this movie. And then Frankenstein's monster is just like such an afterthought, but it's so fucking hilarious. What what he what he busts out of the water, like, <laughs> he's just just moving around like he like he's blind or something, but you don't know if he's blind or not. And... <laughs> oh man, so much going on though, man. The the dumbass Amazon girls. Will you find out that there's like a nothing side plot in there? Where you find out that one of the henchmen is her father. <laughs> and, like, it just goes nowhere. Except for the fact that you find out that she's her father. Yeah. It, wasn't, there, it, wasn't there something like they, they were descendants of, like, aliens who settled on the island? or Something. It's so, something. It's so Rocky Horror right down to the ending. Because the ending it ends totally Rocky Horror. Because, of course, they go to the authorities and, you know, they make it off the island. And they say this is all, it's all spoilers. You guys can go watch this on YouTube. It's like it's like ninety minutes long, but uh, they have that 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 plot like the like at the end of two thousand one Maniacs or at the end of Rocky Horror where everything has disappeared. And there's no evidence of stuff that happened except for of course the dog comes out and he finds one of the medallions or whatever one of the girls were wearing. Like hey, it was all real, you know. But why does it matter? You know, for B-movie schlock, that's why it matters, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. And I think there was actually, like, a riff tracks done with this movie. Well, I, I would not deny it, no. <laughs> <laughs> I would not deny it whatsoever. But, um, go ahead, I'm sorry. Oh, no, that, that's all I was saying on that point. Oh, you have John Carradine. Yeah, they must have had him for, like, a day and say, let's film all this floating head stuff with you. And, oh, I, I forgot, I, I, I'd be remiss to, to not talk about this. If you like bad white boy karate, then this is the film for you. Because this is just nothing but white people who can't do a front kick to save their lives. And there, there's a scene where the one white dude who, the ace, you know, blonde white dude, the big bohunk guy, is fighting on the beach with somebody, I think, or something. And they just he keep going to overhead shots of him just punching the air. Like, he's really hurting somebody. And then there's a scene at the end, of course, where, where Frankenstein's monster comes out, and he's going nuts. And he's, they're just doing, like, all these sloppy front kicks and shitty haymakers that don't go anywhere. And they're making, trying to make it look as good as possible, but it looks really, really bad. So, if you like bad white boy karate, this is a, this is a good film for you to go dive into, you know? No, for sure. <sighs> Man. Yeah, I'd be remiss not to mention that, because that, that, that was a... Uh, that was the shining point of the film for me, was the bad white boy karate, and I, I love that in films like this. Oh, man. Is there anything else you want to talk about this film, man? It, 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 I, I think it was a joy to watch. Uh, although, yeah. I, I did check the clock a couple times, because there is a couple slow parts in there, but, you know, when it really gets going, it's it's really fucking enjoyable. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think if, if you kind of know what you're prepared for, which, in a way, there is no way to be prepared for, but if... if if you listen to kind of our discussion on it and it somewhat gives you also a reference as opposed to really being prepared because you won't be until those balloons end up on the island and you're yes. already there. Um, but if you kind of have a frame of reference of 
what you're in for, then I, I would say you, go, you know, go check it out, have a few beers, have a few laughs, try to make sense of it. Because uh, there's some parts that are pretty straightforward, but then when they try to get over plotty with it, it just you're just like, what the hell? Like the stroke weapon? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I had to bring this up. I keep I keep forgetting about stuff like this. There's a device on that the scientists, and I I'm doing air quotes right now. Scientists have created to basically make you have like a full-on stroke with with the flick of a switch. Yeah, yeah. But, but then they like to forget about it like halfway through the film because these people are just muddling around their island. That they have this 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 weapon that can make them paralyzed, like almost on the, on one side of their body. Yeah, and even when the guy, like one of the main four guys, he like thinks he figures it out. He's like, oh, when you, I I forgot what he said. Like when you combine your skills or something, it makes it. It's like I don't even understand what that's supposed to mean. Because then he like takes the. Is it one of the Amazon girls, or he takes? No, he takes the other guy over to another guy that's talking to an Amazon girl. He's like, "See, uh, ask her about this," and then he starts the conversation, and then it happens to that guy. And I'm like, I still don't understand what you just figured <laughs> out. Or... <laughs> I had no idea. Oh my god! But yeah, that's about it. That's about the gist of this film. I think you guys should all go watch. Like I said, it's free on YouTube. If you like rip tracks, like Mike said, I heard there, I mentioned that there was a rip tracks of this one, which I'm sure this is the first film that we've ever done that has a rip tracks to it. And um, but um, I'm gonna hit it to the ratings now. Mike, what the ten? What what do you give this film? And I I, I think it's fair to rate it in the like the genre it's in. Yeah, I mean if you're if you're looking for this type of experience, um, I would you know I would say. I would say a seven out of ten. I mean, it's it's slow enough uh, and goofy enough, um, but you know, I it's not gonna be like because there's probably movies just as bad, but there there's more over the top stuff going on to keep you like more entertaining. Where this one, you're just kind of like looking at the screen, going like, "What the hell is this?" And like you said, I think I was the same. Where there's a couple times where you're assuming it's later in the movie than it actually is. I think there was a point where I was like 56 minutes in, and I thought I would have been like more like an hour and 10 minutes in. <laughs> um, so you might have to deal with you know checking the timestamp a couple times to realize you're not quite done yet. But I'll, I'll go with the seven out of ten. Yeah, I'm 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 with you. I, I might go like a six out of ten, but it, it's. It's it's not boring as far as the film goes. There's enough in there for you to look at. Whereas it whereas in, in Tanya's Island, you you have a a gorilla that's seducing vanity. Where if this film had a giant gorilla in it along with a Frankenstein's monster and all the regular shit going on, this film would easily go up two points at least in my opinion. But just just to add more craziness to a film like this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um. Yeah, it's a six out of ten. I, I, I it, it is a recommend though. This might even be a two drink minimum commentaries coming soon because although we have our, our our month of July all filled up, it might might be uh there for some good August fodder for for us to watch. Oh yeah, you have to tell, hit me up if that happens. I think it's gonna be a good group watch, and I think it'd be a good group watch for you and your uh your friends on a Saturday night. Get some get some pizza and beer and watch uh watch you some. John Carradine floating head, you know. <laughs> oh my god. People love Eternia. But yeah, up up next, we're going to discuss my pick, B-52. 
being a well, it says Loader Weapon One on IMDb, but it's it's a National Lampoon's movie with basically no National Lampoon's people involved as far yeah. as writers or whatnot. That this isn't a Zucker picture, this isn't a Wayans picture, this is a spoof picture all on its own. But it's Loader Weapon One from 1993. Basic plot synopsis is. An L.A. detective is murdered because she has a... Fuck that shit. And this parody of a buddy cop buddy cop comedies, General Curtis Mortars and Mr. Jigsaw are lacing wilderness girl cookies with cocaine. It's up to Sergeants Jack Colt and Wes Luger, as well as Billy York and Foreman Becker, to put a stop to it. Uh, whatever. They're both lame plot synopses. <laughs> but this, this film's got a great cast. It's got Emilio Estevez, Samuel Jackson, John Lovitz, Tim Curry... Kathy Ireland, William Shatner, the, the list goes on and on, people, yeah, of, of, of great cameos, too. You get Bill Nunn for, like, two seconds, and I, I love me some Radio Rahim. You know, God, God bless, you know, wherever he is, you know. Yeah, but, um, I saw this film very young, probably well before I, I delved into the Lethal Weapon franchise, like, all the way, like, like, like all the way in. Mm-hmm. But, um... This is basically a spoof of that of of the first two films in a way, and where, where you got you know Samuel Jackson is is Murtaugh and Emilio Estevez is Riggs in 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 in, in comedic fashion, and if you, you're not all in in the first five minutes of this film, I, I think there's your 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 comedy bone is broken or something because it starts out to where if you've seen the film Stone Cold with Brian Bosworth, that's basically how it starts with Emilio Estevez in a convenience store, just like. Killing robbers, but in with with hilarity ensuing. I mean, there, there there's gunshots flying everywhere. There, there's cans of juices being shot open. He's having a drink of the juice. He he's hiding behind this. He's looking at a magazine. These these things are falling out of the magazine. He pops up from the things out of the magazines with a giant machine gun out of nowhere, just blasting them away. They're flying out the window, doing like half gainers in the air for like ten seconds. Crazy spoof shit like that. In the first five minutes of this film, and it, like I said, it's just it's just really spoofy shit. And then right after that, you get Tim Curry dressed as a Girl Scout, killing, yes. killing Whoopi Goldberg in a hilarious way. You know, he's looking for that microfume. The microfume, viewed in his gaze. I, I, lo- I love it, man. Oh my god! I'll ask Mike. Mike, what did you think about the movie? Well, much like you, when I was young, I saw it and I was confused by why National Lampoons was even tagged on it. Because at that time, I had see, probably seen um, at least Vacation, European Vacation, and Christmas Vacation. Maybe those were the only three that were out anyway at that time. But so when this kind of came out, and I think I was probably what year did this come out? Uh, Ninety-three. Ninety-three. So I, I'm pretty sure I didn't see it in theaters, but when it hit video. I, I was like, all right, a National Lampoon's movie. And within, like you said, five, ten minutes, you know what you're in for. So I quickly got over that. But uh, I I knew Lethal Weapon. I wasn't well-schooled in it yet, but I knew enough about it to say, okay, this was like a spoof of that. Where like something like Naked Gun is like a spoof on what, like Dragnet-type police stuff? Yes. And this is totally like... Um, Lethal Weapon, and then they throw in a bunch of other just gags from movies. And the thing about this, I forgot like just how like a joke every second this movie was. Like every single scene, literally, there if if it's not involving the main characters, there's stuff going on in the background. It's like rapid fire to where 
you have to watch this movie more than once to catch every joke because there's something going on over here why dialogue over here is also a spoof and i i found it pretty damn hilarious actually like i i i think this is definitely one of those movies that if you saw it when you were young and you hadn't seen a bunch of the movies that's spoofing you would still find it funny almost like when i was a kid and and i saw space Wells for the first time i knew like the, all the star or star wars references but a lot of the other stuff i didn't get it doesn't it doesn't hold up i i said all the mel brooks movies that doesn't hold up as well as the other ones do for that reason all all, all the dated jokes and space balls yeah oh yeah um watching yeah watching loaded weapon again for the show man uh, i i thought it was i I thought it was really good actually the science of the lamb thing was absurd oh god (laughs) Academy Award winner F. Marie Abraham just hamming it up in this movie, you know. Yeah. Um, I would like his cookies with a with a with, a, with some fava beans and a, and a nice fresca or some shit like that. He says. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and then Bull was like the the guy that escorted. Stay to the right. Stay to the right. Grabbing him and shit. That's hilarious, man. Yeah, what, what was it in the police station? Was it a was it a a piece of some type of food? Was it like a a breakfast bacon or something? He's like they're gonna fry me. Oh <laughs> just, god! Like just stupid stuff like that's happening constantly, just off center screen to where like that's the kind of stuff where you could definitely like be not paying attention to it the first time you're watching it, and then like. The second time through, you're like, what the hell's going on back there? Um, this movie's full of stuff like that. Uh, then you get your Charlie Sheen cameo. Validation. Validation, yes. Um, that's cool. Um, I love the Winnebago scene. Or when uh, Emilio Estevez, he's walking in off the beach on his little junked up thing, and he goes to the door, and it's like a mansion inside. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, well, he uses light colors to make it look bigger. That's what he says. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Kathy Ireland, pretty good in this. Um, I love it when she's like, you think she's dying, and she's like, kiss me, as she's coughing up blood. Oh, and yeah. He's, he's going to uh, wipe off her face. Yeah. <laughs> that is gross. I thought she was actually pretty good, like, for not being an actress. I yeah. mean, of course, they limit, her, they limit what she has to do, which is yes. understandable. But for what they gave her, I didn't think she was that bad. Well, she's meant to play like like a naive person in this movie, you know, the whole time. But at the same time, you know, she knows what's going on, but she doesn't want to tell him. And oh god, yeah, the stuff with her, I I love. Well, the actress that that played her her character before that, before she became Kathy Allen, because the way she becomes Kathy Allen, she goes like this. Of course, the the classic trope of when she puts her hair down, she becomes gorgeous. Well, in this case, when the girl puts her hair down, she becomes a whole different woman. We beat yeah. Kathy Ireland. You know? Oh, so, yeah. You mind if I change before we go? And then she, you know, becomes Kathy Ireland. And that's that's kind of funny. And, of course, the scene cut that comes after, which is the, the whole Basic Instincts uh, spoof, which is... Oh, yeah, yeah. It's an amazing scene. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's amazing and drawn out, but there's a purpose for it being drawn out. So it, it works. Like... If it's not done as well as it was, you would think that like, man, this scene's lasting too long. But the way they managed to do it, it was, it was really effective. Yeah, one of my one of my favorite um scenes in the movie is well, anything with Shatner is is amazing in this movie. But when um 
he's telling the story about you know his his goings on in Vietnam, which like is is no relevance to the cocaine game because and right in the middle of the story he goes after twelve years after they sobered up you know <laughs> they got into the cocaine business because they get nothing to do with Vietnam and he brings up you know the whole idea of Vietnam because you know lethal weapon and <laughs> oh god. And of course, yeah. The you, you get if you like I say, if you leave the weapon one and two, you get a lot of these. You get a lot of these references, like the dinner table scene, to where the daughter's flirting with with, with um with with, with the, the Riggs character and leave the weapon. She's doing the same thing in this movie, but she's playing footsies with him on the table. Then all of a sudden, the son plays footsies with him, and the dog plays footsies with him. And you know that's it's really silly, but it's really funny at the same time. And um, the relationship between um, Colt and his dog. Mm-hmm. Which is which is really gross, but really endearing at the same time, because it'll start going out these conversations about who you think he's talking about, old girlfriend, but he's talking about the dog. It's like when I ignore her, she just come and stick my crotch or some shit like that. I forget the lines of the movie, but you know it, it's it's he goes with these long asides about the his relationship with the dog. Uh, John Lovitz is really good in this. Yes. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of actors. And actresses like that just come in for like a scene or two, and they do just a really good job. Phil Hartman's in for five se- for five seconds. He's in the movie. C- Corey, oh, yeah. Fel- Corey Feldman's in there for like five seconds. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Scotty, Scotty, well, J- Jimmy Doohan, you know, Scotty from Star Trek shows up when the cappuccino machine breaks, and he gives the whole "I've given it all, given all its gut, Captain" line, and you know. It's it's pretty great and Frank, oh, yeah. anytime Frank McRae shows up in something, I I know I'm gonna I know I know I'm all in because he plays the angry police captain in this movie and in Last Action Hero and I'm pretty sure a couple other movies too he plays the angry boss and he just, right. his yelling is infectious and I I really appreciate every time he comes in there for sure <clears throat> yeah I mean I think. I think of, of the kind of spoof movies, I think this one kind of gets lost in the shuffle maybe because of the time period it came out, but I thought it was really good. Like, I actually like it more having rewatched it than I remember liking it. And I, I, I did like it when I saw it as a kid, but I think I like it even more now. I think because you get more of the references now that, that are going on in the movie. Definitely. Yeah. Like the, the, the toilet scene where you think that, if you've seen Lethal Weapon 2, you know, they, they got the scene where... Where Murtaugh's on the toilet, there's a, there's a bomb on the toilet, and he he bursts in li- looking for for Luger. He's like, Luger, what's going on? Just taking a shit, you know. That, that you expect totally there'd be a bomb out there, but there's not. It uh, because you know you, you your love for Lethal Weapon Two would expect you to be him be sitting on a fucking toilet bomb into this scene and it ending hilariously, but it's like real simple, just taking a shit. Okay, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, but yeah, it's 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 good. It's good chemistry because you don't see a lot of intentional comedy out of Samuel L. Jackson. I mean, he, yeah, he does stuff to make you laugh in movies, like as far as the way his he he delivers lines. But you watch a film like this, and his his timing is is so great that you you'd wish he would have done more comedy stuff like this. Yeah, it's so good to where like he can almost play it straight. But then deliver the lines dry enough to where you're cracking up. Like the the scene that kind of stands out or just is always in my memory um, is so him and Emilio Estevez they're 
they're investigating like the crime scene at the house. And I forgot the actor's name, but he was Proctor from yes. <laughs> Academy. And when he, he talks about dandruff and then Samuel Jackson's like recommending the shampoo, yeah. like all through that scene, every once in a while he shows up with like different lines from like the actual commercial. And he's like, Hey, hey it's tingling. And then Samuel Jackson's character is like, that means it's working. And yeah. just, just <laughs> he delivers it like so straight, but it, it feels so out of place for like what they're doing that you just can't help but just crack up. But but Sarge, you don't have dandruff exactly. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, but yeah, that that stuff with with uh, one of my favorite parts of with him and um, I'm gonna remember his name in two hours. The actor that plays Proctor in the Police Academy series. Is where he he goes. So uh, you find anything, Captain? He goes nothing solid, and he he like reaches in the wall. It's like this big old pile of slime in his hands. <laughs> and then the next the next thing they're they're walking together, and he goes, "I got a problem." He's like, "Me and my wife haven't had sex in two years, but I got a six month old baby. What do you think about that?" And he just starts wiping that crap on his shoulder. He's like, "Come on, you think too much about stuff, you know, <laughs> shit like that." <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh God! There's like so much, so much throwaway stuff that, that you think is throwaway stuff, but you know, like I said, you watch the timing of of Samuel Jackson and the comedy people that are around. Because there's tons of comedy people in this movie, including <laughs> John Lovitz. You know, acting, acting stupid. I love the exchange to where uh, when they go to get him at the the Squealers Motel, and he <laughs> he's trying to t- t- tell him to use proper grammar. And his love is just screaming, nothing, nothing, you know, it's like really crazy shit, you know, and um, just some of the cameos that show up in this movie, we mentioned Scotty before, but in that same scene, if you're a Chips fan, you, you gotta love that Eric Estrada and, 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 yeah. uh, and um, what's John's name, Larry, Larry Wilcox show up in the hallway shootout scene. Yeah, but it's so random. It is. It is so random. Like, like Doctor Joyce Brothers at the, at the at the crime scene, and she's she's and she's so funny because she's doing that thing where like, oh, she she's to be holding something. She just starts stomping Whoopi Goldberg's hand to get it out of there. You know, uh-huh. don't give a fuck about forensics. Just keep stomping her hand. You know, and like the the little the little gags like on on the matchbook itself, and then it's like, oh. Do you know Billy York? Is like, well, this matchbook says you're lying. And it's really simple because he opens it up and it says you're lying and Lovett starts freaking out. <laughs> it's really simple jokes like that, that that are so funny. A lot of folks, like, try too hard now with a, a lot of cursing and a lot of dirty jokes. But s- simple gags in a, in a film like this really work for me still. I don't need all the... I mean, there's very little profanity in this film. And yeah. I, don't know you, I don't know if you noticed that or not, but you know they rely on that so much now, especially in like your your Judd Apatow comedies, stuff like that. Which I'm not right. dissing Apatow. It's just almost like a crutch to where you know yeah. they, they need that 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 filth factor to, to well, make it make it funny. Well, I think whenever you're dealing with like a spoof movie, what what's really important and what really you can you can pick up on really quick is you have to have that core love of the source material that you're spoofing. Mm-hmm. Like when you watch a movie like Shaun of the Dead, yes, he's spoofing Romero movies, but you could feel like the actual love for Romero's only movies. So here they're spoofing like Lethal Weapon and other things, but you could tell they're spoofing it 
out of like the love for it. Um, and they hit on so many of the jokes and gags and just the dialogue that they get it so right. If you're, if you're trying to make a smooth, those movies and that really shines through. And I think that's what, what helps movies like this. Yeah, I think so too. You know, cause it, it really, really works. You know, even, even if, if you watch it, if you're, it's always sunny fan, you watch their, their episode where they do lethal weapon five. Mm-hmm. And you you see Charlie's character in the, the, the who's the, like the the henchman of Danny DeVito's character in their movie within a show. If you've seen the last Boy Scout, you know that they're they're they're, they're showing Taylor Negron some love because that's like the only time he ever played a bad guy in a movie, and he played it so well. But he's dressed just like him, you know, it's little little stuff like that. I mean, they can they can shit on that show all they want to. I I think little the little stuff like that make it funny. Oh, I totally agree. And I, I forget, you know, stuff like this until it shows up. The part where, you know, of course, if you see Lethal Weapon 2, the, you know that he they come to shoot up his trailer in the movie. And they come to shoot up his trailer in this movie. And <laughs> I don't know how they got her to do this. But, but Bruce Willis, as John McClane, does a cameo because they blow up the wrong trailer. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Ten twenty Pacific Coast Highway, huh? Ten twenty Pacific Coast Highway. No, this is eight twenty Pacific Coast Highway. He's like waving a white flag and shit, you know. Like, all right, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. You know. Mm-hmm. Oh God, that's funny, man. I, I, that's just that's just like it's like the story of, of, of how they got Mad Damon in Euro Trip. I, I'd imagine I, lo- I would love to hear the story about how they got Bruce Willis in this movie. <laughs> just just to hear it, you know. Oh yeah, for sure. I, I heard that that's that's the story Matt Damon was that he was like he was like in like Budapest or something at the time and there there was this band there and they like he had some time off on on some day from some other movie he was doing, so he decided to go work on this movie and then you know, <laughs> Scotty doesn't know happens and it's magical, you know. <laughs> <laughs> if you've ever seen Euro Trip you know what I'm talking about, but you know, it, it, it's it's uh it's a pretty great scene in that movie. Yeah, I have. It's it's good. Oh my god! Oh my. Is there anything else you want to say about this one, Mike? I mean, I I would assume your listeners would have seen this, but maybe it fell through the cracks. If 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 they haven't, or even if they have seen it, but it's been a long time, I would recommend go go watch it again, like immediately. Uh, I think you'll get a lot of laughs out of it. You'll be impressed with just how right on the spoofing is. You'll. You, you'll be uh, amazed how, how almost every scene features like a cameo by somebody that you'll recognize. And I, I think a lot of times when movies try to be like rapid fire joke a minute, it ends up not working. But in this movie, it's so well written and directed and put together that I I think that uh, it's just excellent and everyone would have a great time with it. Oh, definitely. I mean, there, there's lot, lots of little stuff. The stuff I didn't mention because there's, 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 like you said, it's, it's like a mile a minute. Like mm-hmm. you, you forget about stuff like why, why, uh, why, why Luger doesn't like like to hold a gun because when him and him and Billy Billy York, Whoopi Goldberg's character were were rookies, he he couldn't shoot the mime who was holding his finger gun against his partner's head. 
Right. Stupid <laughs> shit like that, man. Because he hesitated in that situation to where and he goes. And, like, yeah, you've seen that trope in, like, the actual action movies. Mm-hmm. But how over-exaggerated it is when Samuel Jackson's, like, flopping around with the gun. <laughs> I, can't, I can't shoot this mime. And then the mime shows up, when, like, during one of the scenes where they're running from the bad guys. The same mime. And it's like, it's like the one that got away, you know? <laughs> Yeah. Oh God. But yeah, as far as ratings goes, I'll I'll, I'll hit uh, hit you with the mic and uh, what do you give a one to ten? I'm gonna give this one. Oh man, I I think I'm gonna go a nine on this one. If 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 you would ask me before I rewatch it, I probably would have said between a seven and an eight. But I was really impressed. Um, like I said, comedies like these that try to do it all every single scene. They often don't get it right. They fail. It feels overdone. This one, total opposite. I think they hit on everything. Um, all the cameos work. Everyone's put to work here. No one feels like they're just there just to be there. Um, and, yeah, I, I would say it, it's almost a movie I say, not only watch it, watch it twice to get all the jokes. So yeah, yeah, it's just, there's, <laughs> a lot, there's a lot to absorb for sure. Yep, so I'll stick firm with that nine. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with that nine too. It's, 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 it's a, it's good comedy, man. It's good time. You get in and out in an hour and twenty minutes, you know. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, that's always a good watch if you're in and out one hour and twenty minutes. You feel, you feel fulfilled with an hour and twenty minutes. So actually, this is shorter than Frankenstein Island, you know. Wow. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, good time, good watch, two, two, two good good examples of, of good schlock that you might enjoy i can't say like i say, can't say one was better than the other one because I, I like them for different reasons but um with that so, oh, i'm sorry go ahead michael i was gonna say yeah they're so different in what they do yeah but with that i'm gonna come back with mike here and close out the show now here's something we hope you'll really like we interrupt our program to bring you this important message Germs, that ghoul friend of mine makes me so crazy. She told me she thought she'd look good in something long and flowing. So I threw her in the Mississippi. Are you seeking discussion of horror on the small screen? Then look no further than Evil Episodes Podcast. Join your hosts, Mike Nyman, Brian Sammons, Jamie Sammons, and a large variety of guests as we break down all the favorites and not-so-favorites in horror TV. So grab a snack. And of course, be sure to grab and join us for Evil Episodes Podcast on the Horror Feeling Network and Legion Network of Podcasts. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Ah, necrophilia. Ah, ah, ah. It's a dead issue, man. Don't, don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, Trudes. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. 
It takes a powerful goddess like Connie jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. Oh, I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of it. unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this movie. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything that kept Little history doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped from watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was How did you watch movie. this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. Once there was a show called the Not-So-Evil Episode Sidecast. It was a long name, Batman. No one could ever remember it. They released 25 episodes of brilliant film criticism. And like that, he's gone. Now, six months later, we're back. I didn't know we were gone. We've got a brand new name, new movies to review, but the same old attitude. Foul language and obscure references? Count me in. Each episode, we pick a topic, watch four movies related to that topic, then bicker amongst ourselves to decide which film is the best. We're the theme warriors! Join Iris, Jeffrey X. Martin, Doug Tilly, and myself for Theme, theme warriors. warriors. Four people, four movies, one dynamite show. Catch us on iTunes, Stitcher, and the Horophilia Network of Podcasts, as well as the Legion Podcast Network. That's the Theme Warriors! Don't want to sleep no more! Who are you people? Well, Mike, uh, thanks for sitting in with me here for in my lonesome. I'm, I'm glad I wasn't so lonely doing a solo cast because that's that's harder than most people think, you know. <laughs> oh yeah, for for sure. Like, not only is it hard to talk to yourself, but like do it as if you're talking to all the listeners. It's hard to remember like everything that you want to talk about. It's hard when someone else isn't bouncing off ideas because when you're when you're having a conversation with someone else, just natural means things are going to spark your memory they might bring up something that you had wanted to and forgot so yeah man it was a pleasure yeah oh well i'll ask you next uh tell the folks where they could find your stuff michael all right so evil episodes tv horror we're on uh not really on a hiatus i would say more just we're kind of preparing for our return it's coming sooner than later just trying to work out logistics um theme warriors as gary mentioned we're recording that one in about a week's time from now we're doing for that one we're doing movies that take place underwater nice uh rad radio was mentioned at the beginning there's uh about five episodes or actually four episodes out five the fifth is recorded and the sixth will be recorded in about two weeks so plenty of those to kind of catch up on if 80s stuff interests you and then uh, cut to the chase which that one kind of gets recorded whenever it gets recorded but there's a handful of those out there already so if you know Dan Chase and pretty much the crowd he runs with and then including me sometimes uh, Alex is on the show sometimes they I think their latest episode is the top 10 superheroes our top 10 superhero movies. Yes. So listen to that. And then I think we're recording the new one of that tomorrow. So 
look for all that. I mean, the easiest way is just take the title. I mean, there's so many different ways to find podcasts these days, but if you're specifically interested in any of the ones I mentioned, pretty much they all have a group page on Facebook. So just type the name of the podcast into Facebook, find them and uh, join them, join the community and join the conversations. Cool. Yeah. Be myself. Uh, this show and the two Jigman commentaries can both be found on legionpodcast.com with uh, a lot of other great shows. A lot of our Legion brothers and sisters, including a couple you may hear on the next a couple episodes. Uh, I'm not sure what, what that's going to be. It, it might be with Mike again with, with for the Urban Renewal one, but I got uh, Richard Schmidt from the Hello, This is the Doom Show podcast um, in the Pike. I got Suzanne the Pike. So it depends on uh, scheduling and whatnot and when we can get it done and, you know... I like Darren Wilson's in the pike, and it's all—it's all a numbers game at this point. I'm not the best at scheduling, like some other people are. <laughs> but um, yeah. By the time this comes out, I'm sure maybe my appearance on the Short Bus Cinema will will, will be out. Where we, I'm joining Johnny and, and Ricky to do uh, Death Spa, which is uh, Phil. If you've seen it, you like it, you know that's great. If you haven't seen it, I'd say seek it out because it's pretty bonkers, you know. But, um, what else I got coming up? I'm supposed to be on Darren's show again, covering Over the Edge on the Psycho-Semantic podcast. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I like to mention a lot of things on the, on the end of those episodes. Um, thanks for all your constant support, really. I, I that's, uh, one, one big thing, because without you guys, I, I might still be doing this, but, you know, it, it, it helps that people dig what you're laying down, and I, I, I appreciate that, so... If you guys really want to, if you guys really, really love us, you know, give us some feedback. And if you want to, an iTunes review, go go, go uh, ch- check your old Apple Podcast review, I'm sorry, to, to go uh, check us out on there. And uh, like I said, thanks for all the love from Legion and from Bo. Get out there and go get those Legion Podcast t-shirts, people. They're pretty sweet looking. They're kind of like Dragon's Lair to me in a way, they're the front of them, you know. Um... But uh, like I said, next time, hopefully Jamie and or X will be back, and uh, we could we can do this all over again because I love doing this. Next episode will be episode ninety. I get obviously this is episode eighty nine, which means we're inching oh so much closer to that milestone one hundredth episode, which is uh, already scheduled. You know, already already what we're gonna do for that I think is pretty epic. Uh, I would talk about it till it gets closer, but um, I'm really excited about that. But um, with that, that's going to be the end of our program. And always remember here at Sin Beef Podcast, if you got beef, we've got the grinder. See you next time. Fun, baby.
vision, dreams of passion. And all the while I think of you. A very strange reaction. The more I see, the more I do. Baby. Highway, tell all your friends they can go my way, pay your toll, sell your soul, pound for pound, cost more than gold. The longer you stay, the more you pay. My white lines go a long way, either up your nose or through your vein. We're nothing to gain except killing your brain. Breathe! 